0: Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 32 through 40. We're going to bring to a close Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll transition into Hebrews chapter 12 next week. This morning... um, uh, just by way of a review, during this study, we have looked at how Abel had a worshiping faith. Enoch had a walking faith. Noah had a working faith. Abraham had an obedient faith. Sarah had a trusting faith. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph had a passing faith. Moses had a pressing faith. Joshua had a circling faith. Rahab had a transforming faith. As, you, as believers, you and I demonstrate faith. When we take God at his word and act in obedience, live our lives in accordance with his word. When God says go, we go. When he says pray, we pray. When he says fast, we fast. When he says teach, we teach. When he says share, we share. When he says give, we give. When he says uproot, we uproot. How did you obey God this week? Let me ask you this question. What did he call you to do this week? Where you said, yes, Lord. What was it that you said, yes, Lord, to this week? Notice our faith champions this morning. Beginning in verse 32, we read, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. If anything can be seen in these verses, it's this. Faith perseveres to the end, looking toward the final reward. I know that you've heard me say this many times, but if we live our life long enough, we're going to experience storms in life. Some of those storms are going to be nothing more than sprinkles. Some of those storms are going to be heavy rain with embedded thunder and lightning. Some of those storms are going to be tornadic. Others are going to be Cat 5 Hurricanes, right? I do not want us to lose sight of the many blessings that come with life, but I also want us to recognize that none of us are guaranteed an easy life. If anything, as believers, we've been promised the exact opposite, right? This morning, we're going to see many heroes of the faith mentioned. Some will be mentioned by names. Others, we know who they are because of their act of faith. So notice point number one this morning. Within verse one, the author showcases for us four men mentioned in the book of of Judges. So we see the faithful judges here. In verse 32 again we read, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Like many of our heroes of the faith, these men were very flawed. They did great things for God. They also experienced personal failures, didn't they? Let's look at Gideon. Scripture tells us that Gideon was a mighty warrior. This mighty warrior would go up against 100,000 men with no more than 300 men of his own. When we are first introduced to Gideon, we encountered a coward who had to be persuaded by God to go and fight for him. But God would use Gideon in a mighty way and call him a mighty warrior. But after God used him to defeat the Midianites, Scripture tells us that he made an, um, an ephod, an ornate ceremonial garment to be worn only by the high priest. According to the Mosaic law, there was only to be one of these at a time. He would make a second one. And this would lead the people of Israel into idolatry. Next, we see the name Barak. Barak won a great victory for Israel, but only after he was persuaded by the prophetess Deborah. You know what that verse right there tells us, or what this story of Barak tells us, that we all need a good woman in our life, don't we men? We need someone that is going to kick us in the rear when we need to be kicked in the rear. That's exactly what happened with Barak. Next, we see Samson. He was one of the mightiest men to ever walk this planet. He was a great warrior with unmatchable strength. Scripture tells us that he defeated a thousand Philistines with nothing more than a jawbone of a donkey. He is placed in the hall of faith, even though he had a sordid relationship with Delilah. This relationship would literally lead to his death. Samson had unbelievable potential. There is no telling what human history would have written about him if he would have been the man that God had set him apart to be and the man that God had destined him to be. But because of his wandering eyes and his affair with the prostitute Delilah, despite his weakness, in the end, he would turn to God and would be counted as faithful. Next we see Jephthah. Okay, I don't know if you know who Jephthah is, but this is this one right here, this is a little bit hard to stomach when you think about this man. He was born of a prostitute and deemed an illegitimate child. He was sent away from his homeland and raised by a bunch of scoundrels. He would return home to lead his town in a victorious battle against an enemy army. Scripture tells us in Judges 11, 1, That he was a mighty warrior. But notice what scripture tells us a few verses later about this man. This man made a vow with God. A vow that he was committed to keeping. In verse um, 30 of 31 of Judges chapter 11 we read. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said. If you will give the Ammonites into my hand. Then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me. When I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up. For a burnt offering. When he returned home, the first person to walk out the door of his home was his only daughter. Who makes a vow like that? Who did this man expect to walk out the door of his house first? I mean, think about your life. When you when you have been at work um, after a long day, and you've got a little child. Who's usually the first one to run out that door to greet you when you get home? It's your child, right? Well, this man made this despicable vow to God. Here's the deal. He would keep his foolish vow and would end up sacrificing his daughter. It's tough to stomach, but this man is placed in the hall of faith. The writer goes on to mention two great men of faith found in the book of Samuel. We see David. David Man after God's own heart. He is most known for defeating the giant Goliath with a a smooth stone and a slingshot. David was a gifted leader. He was a gifted warrior, and he was a gifted musician. He loved God with all of his heart, and he served the Lord faithfully most of the days of his life, right? But not all of the days of his life. David is also known for his affair with Bathsheba. He attempted to cover up his affair by calling Uriah, the husband of um, Bathsheba, in from the army. Um, His purpose was to get him to sleep with his wife. But he refused to sleep with his wife because he knew his place was not at home with his wife, but it was with his men at battle, right? If David would, would, would have been where he was supposed to be, then his affair with Bathsheba probably never would have happened, right? Well, here's what David ends up doing. He sends Uriah back into battle. He puts him on the front line with every intention for Uriah to die in battle. And that is exactly what happened. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many times have you found yourself somewhere where you should not have been? What was the result of that? more often than not, you probably gave in to temptation instead of resisting temptation, right? Next, we see Samuel. Samuel was a great prophet. He would anoint the first and second kings of Israel, but he was not a great father. Scripture tells us that, uh, of his godless sons in 1 Samuel 8.3, Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. These flawed men, with lapses in judgment, each accomplished great things for God, didn't they? I love what John Calvin says about um, men, like, men and women like this. In every saint, there is always to be found something reprehensible. Nevertheless, although faith may be impossible Perfect and incomplete, it does not cease to be approved by God. You know, I wish I could say this morning that God's Word is full of nothing but stories of great men and women of integrity like Enoch must have been. But it is not. You know, actually, I'm not glad that God's Word is full of such men and women. You know why? Because you and I would try to emulate their lives, right? Instead of emulating the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, God's Word is full of flawed people, like you and I are flawed people, saved by God's glorious grace. Despite our past, God can redeem us just like He redeemed these men and women and declare us faithful as well. Notice next the faithful accomplishments. In verses 33 through the first part of verse 35, we read, Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Within these three verses, we find listed some of the greatest testimonies of faith in all of the Bible. We are told that these men conquered kingdoms. They had a conquering faith because our God is a conquering God. We are told that they enforced justice. Some of your translations say righteousness here. They worked righteousness. These men would lead people away from idol worship toward the Lord. That's what you and I need to be doing as well, isn't it? We need to be leading people away from the things of this world toward the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We live in a broken world where broken people are in desperate need of a resurrection Savior. And all of us have been commissioned to go to them with the good news of salvation. Next, we see they obtain promises. When you and I live our lives in accordance with the Word of God, when we do what the Word tells us to do, then we too will obtain the promises of God for our lives. I've said this before, but promises do not mean health and wealth. There are many, um, there has there, risen a generation of preachers that preach a prosperity gospel, Right? Turn on TBN, turn on some of these other stations and you hear these men preaching and women um, a name it and claim it gospel. Give to me and you will receive a windfall is what they say. What these men and women are doing is they're leading people away from God instead of towards God. Our heroes of the faith, they march forward having listened to the voice of God and they obeyed the voice of God and as a result they received the promises of God. The faith of these giants enabled their lives to still preach on today, allowed them to walk with God and be no more. Allowed them to to build an ark so that their family could experience God's grace as they were sheltered from that storm. Abraham, he would have a, a he would become the father of promise because of his faith. Sarah would become the mother of promise and give birth to Isaac when she was 90 years of age. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, we know they had a passing faith. They passed the faith on to their children who passed it on to their children and so on. Joshua would lead um, the people to into the promised land Moses would lead the people to the gates of the promised land and as we looked at last week Rahab would be grafted into the family of God these are some of the great men and women of faith that we have looked at as we've walked through Hebrews chapter 11 God is good and he is a keeper of his promises and a keeper of his word isn't he you believe that this morning absolutely next we see how they were protected from lions Scripture does not speak of the name of the one protected from lions, but we know this man to be no other than Daniel. What did Daniel do? He refused to stop praying, even though a law was signed into place ordering him to pray no more. As he had always done, three times a day he would face Jerusalem with the windows um, wide open. He would get down on his knees and he would pray to God the Father. Even though he knew outside the window of his home, there were men looking up at him, waiting to find him guilty of not obeying the king's decree. What was the result? He'd be thrown into a den full of hungry lions, wouldn't he? Would those lions rip him limb by limb? Absolutely not. Now the Lord closed the mouth of those lions. And not only did he close the mouth of those lions, but those men guilty of, 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 of um, ordering Daniel into that lion's den, they would be thrown into that lion's den, and each one of them would perish. Here's what I love about Daniel's faithfulness. We read in Daniel six twenty six, the king is speaking here. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. What is the result of Daniel's faithfulness? This pagan king recognizes the God of Daniel and issues this decree throughout the land that they are to worship the king of kings and the Lord of lords. These men of faith would also quench the raging fires. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down and worship the idol constructed by King Nebuchadnezzar. And because of this, the king becomes so angry that he heats up that furnace um, probably to as hot as it possibly could go. Those men that would lead Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up to the mouth of that fire, they died there on the spot. But Daniel, Shadrach, and, and our, our Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego, they fall into that fire. And notice what the king says about these men. In, in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, um, we read these. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. The king, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, The answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. We know who the fourth man was in that fire, don't we? It's no other than the king of kings and the lord of lords. Folks, Just as the Lord was with Daniel, just as the Lord was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he is with us this morning, isn't he? And he has given us a conquering faith as well. Here's the deal. It does not mean because God spared these men from the raging fires and from the mouths of lions that you and I will will, um, be saved from such torment. But what we can be guaranteed of is that the Lord is going to be with us every step of the way. These men would also escape swords. David, Elijah, and Elisha, and others would escape the edge of the sword. Many times the warriors of the faith would stare death right in the face, but God would protect them. Notice the promise given of these men and women of faith. They were made strong. Each was once weak, but they would be made strong by the Lord. We also read that women received back their dead. Not only are men mentioned as being mighty in faith, but so were women. Both Elijah and Elisha were used of God to bring back the dead. Elijah brought back the son of the widow um, Zarephath, and Elijah brought back the son of a Shunam, Shumanite woman. Both were believed in, um, Both women believed in the supernatural power of God, and because of their faith, the Lord indeed did the supernatural th- through these two prophets. How did these things happen? Through ordinary men and women like you and me. Verse 34 tells us, These men and women were made strong out of their weakness. That is what faith is all about. As Stephen Cole said, faith requires us to recognize our weakness, but at the same time lay hold of God's strength. Throughout scripture, we see this to be true. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul, the rock of the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we read, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us but our sufficiency is from god he would also say in second corinthians chapter 4 but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that their surpassing power belongs to god and not to us it's good news this morning isn't it stephen Cole also said every christian who has accomplished great things for god has known this truth as their very foundation of what they did that god makes the weak strong robert morrison A pioneer missionary to China was asked, do you really expect to make an impact on this great land? He replied, no, sir, but I expect God to. George Mueller's biographer wrote of him, nothing is more marked in George Mueller to the very day of his death than this, that he looked to God and leaned on God, that he felt himself to be nothing and God everything. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to inland China said, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. William Carey said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. God blesses and uses faithful women and men yielded to Him. Right? It's good news this morning, isn't it? If that is not enough, Notice what the writer tells us next. The faithful endure. The latter part of verse 35 through 38, we read Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they were They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These verses reveal to us that sometimes people of faith lose their lives for the sake of Christ and the advancement of the gospel. Over and over in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see people of faith that are killed because of their testimony. Because of the testimony they bear, the writer tells us of these men and women that they were mocked, flogged, chained, imprisoned, stoned, solitude, killed by the sword. They would be poor, destitute, mistreated, homeless. Why was the writer of faith, why did he shift from nothing but really victorious stories of faith to now all of a sudden kind of a gloom and doom picture of what a faithful life looks like. You know why he did that? It's because of this. The world these men and women lived in, when when within this Hebrew church, believers all around them were experiencing persecution and they were dying for their faith. Today, people that live in the Middle East and Asia and parts of Africa are experiencing such persecution. I read just this week that the Taliban in Afghanistan, they are literally searching out believers. And, and one family that's there testified to the fact that they received a letter that said, We know where you live, and we are coming for you. This is the world that they lived in, and it's also the world that we live in today. People of faith are not concerned about the outcome of this life, right? People of faith are concerned about the next life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What people of faith understand is that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. You and I need to get out of our mind that we were ever called to a life of ease. We were not called to a life of ease. We were called to a life of faith and obedience, right? Sometimes a faithful life is a suffering life. Notice our final um, subpoint before we get to the next. So I guess this is the Second to the last subpoint, point right? Um, the faithful's reward. In verses 39 and 40 we read, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. All of the heroes that we have looked at today and throughout this great sermon series have been commended by God for their faith. God singled these men and women out to be an encouragement to the Hebrew church as well as an encouragement to this church. He wanted this church to know that men and women of Hebrews Hebrews past ran the race of life faithfully. And not only did they run the race faithfully, they finished the race as well. The writer tells us that none of the faithful received what was promised. What was the promise? What was the promise that all of these men and women looked toward? It was Jesus, right? None of these men and women ever saw Jesus walk the face of this earth. They never gazed upon Him. They may not have received the promise, though, but they certainly lived their lives knowing that one day Jesus would come and redeem men and women and children from their sins. But you, church, that is what he is saying to those Hebrews. You don't have to wait because Jesus has already come and he went to the cross and he died upon the cross for your sins and he shed his life's blood to provide a covering for you. He has come to redeem you of your sins what the writer is telling the hebrew church it's what the writer is telling us this morning as well you don't live with the hope that jesus will come because jesus has already come hasn't he and you and i have been set apart to take the good news of the message of christ to those outside the doors of this church in conclusion this morning let's look at faith in action We need a faith like our heroes of the faith, right? We need a worshiping faith, a walking faith, a working faith, an obedient faith, a trusting faith, a passing faith. We need a pressing faith. We need a circling faith. We need a transforming faith. We need a lasting faith, an enduring faith, and a persevering faith. Folks, you and I live in a world that is growing more and more and more apart from the Lord Jesus Christ more and more people are living their lives independent of God they are turning to um, to agnosticism they they are um, they are denying that God exists they are atheists and agnostics and these are our are, 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 are young people even I read just this week that students between the ages of 9 and 24, this is what we would determine as Generation Z. Okay, Fewer than 10% of these men and women, these young people, are concerned about the Bible. Fewer than 10% of them turn to the Word of God. I also read this week that Half of all Americans would qualify as being Bible-centered people. And a Bible, not Bible-centered, but Bible user. A Bible user is determined as someone who opens the Word of God four or five times a year. Isn't that tragic to think? So what that tells us is that fewer than 50% of all Americans open God's Word at least once a week. Folks, we need to be about discipling and equipping other people. And we need to be faithful to the Word of God. Again, faith perseveres to the end, looking toward the final reward. Now, all of us in this room, I hope and pray, we look toward that final reward. That is, um, Jesus. Man, we're excited about the day that 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 we take our final breath on this side of eternity and dwell with Christ for all of eternity. But until that day comes, we've got a mission to fulfill and that mission is to go and preach the good news of salvation you may be here this morning and you may need to come to this altar during this time of invitation to pray you may need to pray at your place where you're sitting i don't know what decision needs to be made this morning but let's stand together if you don't know jesus and i and 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 if you don't i want to invite you this morning to come to know jesus as your lord and savior Let's let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now, Lord, thanking you again for this morning, thanking you again for the opportunity to come into your house to worship you. Father, I pray now during this time of invitation that you will move, that you will speak to us, you will reveal to us your truth. Father, um, show us how um, we need to... To, to change our life as a result of, of, of this study and as a result of your word, Father. Lord, if there's a decision you need to make now, Father, I pray that you'll draw people unto yourself. First, in Jesus' name we pray.